Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Today's story is Lovers and Worlds, written by Juan Torregrosa and narrated by Meredith Lyons. Settle in and enjoy. Lovers and Worlds Juan Terragrosa. A week before the attack, and another life it seems now, a Malaysian man wearing an elegant suit came up to me. On top of his head he had a Muslim turban, wine color I believe, but he somewhat comically hat-tipped in my direction as if he was a 19th century European. Then, in surprisingly good Mandarin, said to me, Madame Wang, you don't know me, but I've known you since the Taipei Beauty Contest. And I just wanted to let you know, you deserved to win. He looked at least ten years older than me, and I thought his skin was rather dark, even for a Malaysian man. Every single word he pronounced in Chinese had the right tone, and I understood his meaning. But because I was a bit shocked, I remained courteously smiling, maybe somewhat idiotically. This elegant gentleman, whom I will call Ismail, brimming sincerity and goodwill in his eyes, quickly filled my awkward silence. I hope you can forgive me, Madam Wang, but I cannot resist telling you that these two years have brought personality to your face, particularly around your mouth and eyes. There's no question you would win this year. You should try again. I often think of that lovely image in Taipei's Quangnan Park. I was holding a paper parasol and looking distracted at the water. Then I saw a shadow and heard my family name. Next to me stood this foreigner in a well-fitted suit, comically hat-tipping and smiling. His deep blue eyes were on me, his accented words about my face, my blushing. It's the memory in which I started to be what I am. The memory I'd like to point at before I die and say, everything started there. I was only 19, and he was 30, but I never regretted losing my youth. Not with him, nor with the man that came after, nor the next. And even when, in the lonely university nights, I saw my former school friends partying and doing mischief, I never felt it had been too early for me. Of course, I sometimes missed being with other girls my age, but when I thought about that, it felt more like a passing meditation than a regret. And now that I am a lonely old lady with nothing better to do than gaze out the window at a strange earth, I keep coming to the same conclusion. I became what I was bound to be. My father's sister, Auntie Yan, the aunt I looked like the most, once told me that being pretty is a fatal curse from which it's hard to escape. That thought stuck with me for decades, 
first as a witty comment to say while drinking with others, later as the magical spell that explains so many things in my life. I'm well aware that in these modern days, particularly among new generations, talking about natural beauty might strike as old-fashioned, and maybe even as morally weak. I know. I might be a relic half-forgotten in her petite department, but I still chat from time to time with nieces and nephews, and I can perfectly read their faces and understand how much they value being resilient over beauty. These are different times. Nowadays, nobody is ugly anymore. And a collection of faces that can be taken from the closet and worn is more common than a collection of shoes. I'm aware. However, in my youth, physical appearance was still the cornerstone of our lives, particularly for girls. And for many years, it seemed to me, that how the world treated us always started with a face, the only one we had. As it couldn't be otherwise, when I first mentioned to my mother the curse of being too beautiful, I had to be around twenty. She rudely chuckled and said in her vulgar Mandarin that I was too stupid to understand sex, like your father. She passed away not knowing one-fifth of my relations with men and probably not really caring to know. For her, Mahjong and friends were more important than physical appearance, love, or a faithful partner. All my early attempts to engage in conversation with her about these topics were met with sarcastic comments about my weak metabolism and fancy education. My father, who insisted on taking us to international schools, even after he divorced my mother and left Taiwan, used to be a better person, but also an awful listener. One day, probably knowing that my mother wouldn't empathize at all, I told him how my jealous boyfriend, the second one after Ismail, had grabbed me by the neck as if he was to hit me. My father raised an eyebrow and asked me if I'd already broken up with him. I said yes, and he approved. But when I tried to engage further about that disgusting experience, he, a little uncomfortable, told me I was giving it too much importance and should move on. I remember I was dumbstruck by those words, like being betrayed, and after that conversation I also gave up talking to him about personal problems. I'm not sure my father was like that always. Like many others, he was changed by the war and those bizarre years that fell upon earth like a meteorite. He became obsessed with Buddhism, and all he searched for was to be perfectly calm, like the surface of a lake and not to be disturbed by anything. Fortunately for him, and for us, his ability to make money was not affected at all by his new obsession with being at peace. To me, the attack on Taiwan and all the revolution around technology of that year had little influence in my life. I've always loved reading stories, but I never cared much about news, politics, or even technology and science. So while my family and colleagues were constantly chatting about the Chinese Communist Party and the dangers of hybrids, the dangers of AIs, and the effects of climate change, the only thought when I woke up was about meeting Ismail. To me, his perennial smiling eyes and his jokes were much more important than anything that could be said on the news, social worlds, or in the family. During the first days of the attack, Ismail refused to leave his hotel, and I wasn't allowed to go to his district. People in Taiwan were obviously scared, but the feeling I remembered the most in people's eyes was 
perplexity. Like shocked rabbits in the middle of a road, paralyzed at the headlights of an oncoming truck. Funny enough, I think I spent most of those frightening days in my room, daydreaming about my Malaysian gentleman, ignoring my mother and brother at the other side of the door, talking for hours about the old days of Mao, the West, and so many other things that sounded like legends. Soon afterwards is when my face aged as if someone had pushed the forward button on my metabolism. My destiny, I didn't know yet, was to become a mature woman and remain that way for more than three decades. A face that barely changed in thirty years, now racing toward the future, leaving me living in that space between love and cynicism. Who knows? Maybe disappointments and love stories are all the same for girls, no matter if your boyfriend is ugly, stupid, or uncharming. Ismail, whose real name I won't mention because he is still a rather famous and respected businessman, was by no means the first man to whom I had undressed, but he'd certainly been the first one to whom I'd completely surrendered. It makes me laugh to hear me say that word, surrender. But the truth is that even now it hurts me a bit, and I can barely stand remembering him, more handsome than ever, telling me he had a wife and children. Some women go through pregnancy to stop being young girls. For me, it didn't take nine months or a baby, but only that sentence. Auntie Jan, the same aunt that had told me about the curse of being too pretty, was also the first one to mention the sudden aging in my face. It had been at the spaceport, right after we came back from my first and last trip to orbit. The prize for winning the Taipei Beauty Contest was a trip to the European station, along with the passenger, who was, of course, my mother. The voyage, a combination of augmented reality documentary and physical inconveniences, didn't suit my spirit and my habits. More used to reading novels, walks in the park, and conversations in a cool garden. So unlike my energetic mother... I didn't enjoy the clapping and shouting during the rocket launch countdown, much less the roaring of the engines and the terrible feeling of being pressed into our seats, thinking we might explode in a fireball. Undoubtedly, my memory has softened the experience of those ten days in orbit, and now they are a set of funny videos for my profile and a pleasant topic for conversation. But thirty years later, and I still don't find space interesting— it was dull listening to the astronauts talking about the history of space exploration, and annoying, to say the least, listening to my mother, who suddenly became an expert about everything. The sun, the moon, Newton, Musk, Alpha Century. I never cared about them. I always found looking at the naked body of a man at the other side of the bed more hypnotizing. Biology was the career I'd studied probably for no other reason than being close to real bodies, or life itself. In the end, I didn't study so much about skin or muscles as raw data and software to manipulate it. By the time I was aware of my disappointment with biology, both my brother and I were receiving some monthly allowances from our father. And though I finished my studies partly because he asked me to, that little money I received from him was going to be enough to keep me out of jobs and offices. Unlike my mother and my aunts, I've never been a spendthrift, even though I enjoy shopping. And unlike my brother, I've never been enslaved to social life and friends. So if I was short on money and didn't have a boyfriend at the time to take me out, it was natural for me to stay home, cooking something or spending hours reading a novel.
Two months after Ismail told me about his wife and daughter, another man came up to me. He was one of my professors in biology, a Shanghaiese man, although several years older, but more serious and less elegant than Ismail. I was reading a book, my favorite coffee in hand, protected from the monsoon rains not far from campus. He pretended to have run into the building to take shelter from the rain, but I could tell in his voice he had long ago thought about the words he was saying to me. Until that moment, I had never thought of him as anything different from an extension of the university, but for a teacher, approaching a student that way was something indeed remarkable. Against the rules of the university, too. I was still depressed, and he was handsome and amusingly brave. So I agreed. After him, a year later, I started dating a distant acquaintance of my brother, a friend of a friend, a wild artist that played guitar with too much passion and too little brain. He was also the one that would end up grabbing me by the neck. Years after that brief relationship, the memory that annoyed me the most about that kid was not him grabbing me by the neck or pathetically asking not to break up, but my father's lack of empathy. In any case, the entire experience was, in many ways, the most unique experience I'd ever had with men, and it taught me to forget quickly, choose better, and move on without worrying about angry calls, pleadings, and desires that didn't lead nowhere. Inevitably, China's economy collapsed. The young mathematician Helen Zhao was detained, and her predictions for the second half of the century became unconfirmed rumors worldwide. Colonies on the moon popped up. Virtual worlds became stranger and wilder, and lovers came and went like the monsoons of our recovered Taiwan. But during all those decades, one thing remained the same. My face. Yes, lines of pain sharpened around my lips a little more. My skin became more transparent and less soft. But all in all, the face of that young woman in Quinine Park, holding a parasol, watching me from the other side of the mirror, was the only thing that never changed. You just listened to Lovers and Worlds by Juan Torregrosa. And we have Juan on the show today to talk about this work and writing life in general. Welcome to the show, Juan. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh, great to have you on. And I am here, of course, always with uh, Melissa Collings, our co-host. Good morning, Melissa. Good morning. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Juan, let's go ahead and get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, I'm uh, 45 years old, I'm Spaniard. I'm living in Spain now, but I used to live in China. I lived there for 15 years. Yeah. And now I'm working as a translator uh, for an American company, a Chinese company, and I'm technically, I'm technically not single because my girlfriend <laughs> is in, in China, but I haven't seen her for 20 months, but, you know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Why I know you... that's hard. Yeah. Well, it's okay. The technology is better. Yeah, you can see her with um, Zoom or something, or sure. but just yeah. not in person. Yeah, we use just the Chinese software, WeChat, and that's it, but yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, wow. Oh, that's crazy. Do you have plans to, to yeah. see her somehow, hopefully uh, soon? Yeah, maybe September we will fly to uh, another country. I don't know, maybe Vietnam, something like that. 
Oh, and interesting. It depends. We don't know. It's really we don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Where yes. in China did you move around a lot? Or were you kind of one place? I moved around a lot. I uh, stayed in different cities, but mainly in Shenzhen, ten years, which is next to Hong Kong. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, but I I also lived in Shanghai and Nanjing. You know, sort of places. Great. And what, and what were you doing there? Good question. I still don't know. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Um, no, I went to China. You know, I was at that moment. I thought, oh, China is going to be the future. I want to learn the language. I really like learning languages, and I went there. And then I found a job, and and then you know, life. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and I yeah. was there. And, uh, I was teaching Spanish for a while. Then I worked in some tech company. I'm still working in one of them, and I'm doing some translations and. And that's it. Now, now I'm back in, back in the West. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Do you have family back in in Spain? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, right now I'm in my parents' house. I lived in in a small town, like ancient town Toledo near Madrid. Yeah. It's the old capital. But weekends I come to Madrid, and uh, and yeah, family, friends, you know. That's great. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, tell us about this story. So, did you? Um, I like the sci-fi element of it, and we haven't really had a, a lot of sci-fi submitted yet. And um, it's sort of like background, though. The sci-fi is, it's in the background, so it's not central to it. But what was the inspiration for the story? And also, what were you wanting readers to kind of take away from it? Yeah, well, the thing is this, this text, and uh, it's just, it was just an exercise. I was mm -hmm. trying to learn how to write in English. I mean, I could write in English, but, you know, shorter stories. So what yeah. I did, and I still do from time to time, because I'm very lazy, but, but, but I try to do, is just to pick up some books that I like, just take a look to the first page yeah, and say, okay, I'm going to try to get the feeling. I got through, I'm going to try to imitate this tone of voice. And, uh, and I did this with the book, uh, The Lover from Marguerite Duras, I think, like one French writer. And, um, mm -hmm. so. I began, and I want, what I did is to say, okay, I'm going to get the, the style. I'm going to try to get the style, sorry, but yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to change the scenario. It's going to be the future. It's going to be 2049. Yeah. Okay. So, and my focus was, I say, again, is the, is the style. I don't, I didn't care about, you know, uh, the plot or anything. <laughs> okay. The, the thing <laughs> is. The thing is, because it's just an exercise. You yeah, know? Right. Sure, sure. I'm doing this with this book. I'm doing this with other books, like, I don't know, Heart of Darkness, whatever. Mm -hmm. and, but, you know, I wanted to write 1,000 words. So when you reach 1,000 words, you are like, okay, I have to finish the story right now. Yeah. And then is when you have to say, okay, how do I finish it? Right. <laughs> yeah, then you I think was, about the plot a little bit. I, and yes, like, absolutely. That's the only moment you say, okay, now I have to think, you know, the plot. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think you, you are right. Like the idea was to, it's not about sci-fi. Uh -huh. It's just the, the background is the context. And it's something that I miss in sci-fi books. You know, it's mm -hmm. overly focused on, on technology, on actions, intelligent plots. Yeah. And I thought, okay, why don't we have something more intimate? You know, it doesn't matter. It's just the future. It's right. Right. Yeah. So one thing that intrigued me with the story is it starts after the invasion or, right. you know, and um, 
So you don't have like a background related to that invasion. That was just kind of like a setup and there was no sort of nothing in your mind about what happened or I'm just curious in terms of well, the world building. I, think, I guess I guess that I did it to to put uh, to introduce some tension in the yeah. story because you know it's mm -hmm. gonna be a slow pace. So I start mm -hmm. with in uh the story it's uh you know the protagonist is in Taiwan and I I use I, I like to pick up Taiwan or Hong Kong because they are very interesting places now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are in the in the future will be very interesting because this they have this tension with China. Yeah, you know it's right. always looming over them. It's you know you have this thing there, and you know I began with a hypothetical attack, so China, yeah, okay. Taiwan, and and that's it. And interesting. So I'm really curious as to why you chose an elderly female POV here. What made you decide to write in this point of view? Well, that's the book. I was, as I said, it was just an exercise. It's like, um, I really don't read much uh, now, but mm -hmm. uh, I used to read, of course, uh, <laughs> before, a long time ago. And I remembered, I, I like this book, as I said, The Lover. So I took uh, The Lover and the protagonist was a female. Okay. And then as I wrote this shorter story and everything changes, of course, uh, I realized, okay, okay, she, she's old. She's really old. Yeah. You know, and she, and, and then it's what I said before, once you finish the, the story, it's like, okay, now I have a plot, but mm -hmm. okay. it was so, a female, it was a female all along. Okay. No. So that was the, that was part of your exercise. That's oh, yeah, what the absolutely. original text yeah, yeah. was it's in. Just, so that's yeah. why you wrote it like that. I like that because it's a challenge and I like your layered approach. You know, you're getting something down and you're going back in layering, you know, another idea or technique. To yeah, finish I, your story. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I think that's what I what I do. Like, you know, as I, you know, I try to imitate then a little. I, mm -hmm. I pay attention to the first paragraphs yeah. of the other writer. And I want to get it similar, I think. But yeah. then I go over several iterations. And yeah. the second iteration, the story changes. And the third iteration changes a lot. Right. And after that, it's your story. And it's very, very yeah. different. And then you have a plot, actually. So, yeah, so you like have to go that. forward and backwards. And, yeah. That's cool. Yes. Well, so how, since English is not obviously your first language, what are some of the challenges in writing that? Because you, in your background materials you sent us, you've written a novella, um, I guess in Spanish, right? And it's published yeah. novella. And so that, but now you're just said you're focusing a lot of your um, writing in English. So what are some of the challenges with that? Well, the language itself, like, uh, yeah, I wrote uh, in Spanish, like I started writing 10 years ago, you know, out of the blue, I, I began to, to write in Spanish. I didn't know I could write. Hmm. So, <laughs> and I did the same thing. I did the same thing. I took a, a text, like that novella actually was an exercise. I was, hmm. I was trying wow. to imitate the German writer, Hermann Hesse, the Steppenwolf. Wow. And then, you know, I mix it with a sci-fi thing. And then I have this book. Which is a novella. I sent it to a, a competition, a literary competition in Spain, and I was finalist. And it was published. They called me nice. and they published. So it was pretty easy, actually. I was like surprised. <laughs> wow, was, that's a story. I was, a lot of people. When, when you start writing, I think it's kind of depressive. Like in Spain, at least, because everybody says, "Okay, it's impossible. Nobody's going right. to publish you. Nobody is going to, you know, impossible." And for me, actually, that was pretty fast. I got really good feedback. At, at least at the beginning, yeah, and um, and that's how it 
it was in Spanish. I wrote a lot in Spanish at that time. I used to write mm -hmm. for when I started for the first four or five months, when I realized that I could write, I wrote like four hours a day. Yeah. But in English, in English, even though my approach is the same, you know, try to learn from other books and all that, yeah. I'm way, way slower. And I have problems because I don't have confidence maybe, or yeah, it's like, I'm like, I'm crafting something like I, I, it's just, you know, every sentence, I, I need time with each sentence. It's not like in yeah. Spanish. So it's a challenge. Yeah, definitely. It's a little harder. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. So I'm curious. You said that writing is kind of a depressing job, <laughs> a, a depressing endeavor. So what made you start to write if you knew that? And you, how did you overcome that hopelessness? I, I don't think I wanted to be a writer. I mean, I guess that when you read a book, you want to, at some point, you say, okay, I would like to write something. I would like to be mm -hmm. a writer. But I didn't sure. have that in my mind. Uh, it's just that um, I, it was around 2011, more or less. Uh, mm -hmm. If you remember, we had this huge crisis, economic crisis, post mm -hmm. the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. And in Spain, it was terrible. It was, it was, it was terrible. So mm -hmm. we have news about it. And I was outraged with the government. You know, I was like, sure. oh, this is terrible. And one day I just sat down and I wrote an article about it. I didn't have a blog. I just wrote it. Mm. And after writing it, I thought, okay, that's not too bad. <laughs> you know, I really, I was like, okay, I think, wow, that's not too bad. So, and then I thought maybe I should try to write a shorter story. What if I try to improve Arthur C. Clarke's, uh, what is this short book? Uh, the Sentinel, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, this is very short. You know, you can try. Maybe you can just, you know, you copy its word, but then right. you change a couple of things here and there. Yeah. And that's how I started. And then it's, you know, what I said before, iterations, iterations. But yeah, it's, it's that's how I started writing in, in Spanish. That is yes. a very and unique answer, yeah. process. Yeah. yeah. And, and answering your question about how I over, you know, overcame like the problem that it's a very depressive job is first, I, I found out later on, you know, when I, when I finished a couple of uh, shorter stories is when I checked the, on the internet and people were saying that, oh, it's terrible. You will never get published. Right. This right. is a nightmare. And, but in, in my case. Uh, well, of course it was like that, and it's, 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 but I had good feedbacks from family members. Yeah. Then this competition came very fast, like very early in my yeah. career, because mm -hmm. that's why I write in English. Why, one of the reasons why I write in English is because English market is, uh, and I'm saying this from a Spaniard point of view, it's, uh, amazing. It's amazing that there are competitions, there are magazines everywhere you can send to your text Every yeah. week. Lots right, of opportunity. Right. Yeah. A lot of opportunities. It's just insane for me. And, uh, but in Spanish, if you write science fiction at that time, at least it was, you are dead. Wow. <laughs> so I couldn't send it anywhere. But funny thing is that I sent it to one very small, it's a national competition, but, and I had a good feedback. So yeah, I yeah. think that gave me, that gave me a lot of, a lot of confidence and, uh, sure. and, and. And then later on, of course, you know, you keep writing and, and you don't make Getting it. Better. It's, yeah. No, I mean, you write better books maybe, but, mm -hmm. and after a, after a while, I just gave up. 
I gave up basically because I was, I was uh, too poor. Like one, <laughs> yeah. Like you know, at, at some point I said, "Okay, I'm going to write. I'm going to write a, a real novel." Yeah. So I yeah. went to I went to an island in in China. It's called Xiamen. It's in it's in front of Taiwan, and I began to write a book there, like a like a a novel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and I didn't work a lot. I mean, yeah, I worked job. a little, yeah. but at the end, you spend you know, I spent my money, and it's like, okay, I need to go back to the city, <laughs> right. you know, half yeah. a life, uh, and you know, and that's it. And that was the end. That was it's over, almost yeah. over. It can wow. take a long time to see any sort of income from a writing career. I think there are those people who make it right away, but uh, it's a it's a long struggle for most of us, I think, to get anywhere where there's yeah. income. So that's that's very interesting. So your your love, maybe not your love, but your reading and writing, it kind of seems like an on-again, off-again process for you because of different circumstances. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, particular, yes, I was going to say reading, but yeah, writing the same way. Like, in fact, in fact, I'm not, I'm not writing right now. Like, I wrote this. I was going to ask. No, I'm not writing, like, uh, uh, because... I, I wrote this uh, short story, like mm -hmm. The Lovers and Words, and along with uh, another, you know, four short stories. Uh, and they are polished, and I send them to magazines. I send them mm -hmm. like four or five times, and that's it. And then I stop because, not because I thought it was depressive or, no, no, on the contrary, because again, uh, in the, the English market is amazing. When you send uh, a, a short story, the magazines actually reply to you. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. they say very polite, you know, they are very polite and say, okay, so, you know, we don't know. Right. But, but yeah, at the same I time- I love this perspective. I know, but, I know. But, but you are like, oh my God, they are, they are, they know. They read my email at least, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Somebody's oh. eyes looked at my piece. Yeah. And they are so polite and they're so professional. <laughs> I was like, this is incredible. So. I didn't stop because of this, because, you know, I didn't get a good feedback. I stopped right. because, again, it's what you say, you know, depending on the time. And, and now um, I began to uh, uh, study languages. You know, suddenly it's like, yeah. okay, I'm not going to write. I'm going to uh, study a little, my brush up my French, which is terrible. Mm. <laughs> and, and that's the reason why I stopped on, because uh, on it. Uh, answer my my short uh, to my short uh, story. Then yesterday, yesterday I say okay, I'm not going to study languages now. I'm going to focus on writing in English because somebody in the United States <laughs> have read my 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 short story. That's incredible. Oh, good. So we can <laughs> give you some motivation. I'm not yeah, kidding. I'm not kidding. Today is the first day I I, I write in a, in a while. I was like, Juan, you have to sit down and write. That's good. Yes. You know, I think it's probably true for a lot of writers or aspiring writers out there that are listening to the show that, you know, you go through, I mean, there are folks like us who try to write every day, um, like Melissa and I, and, and we are focused on it. But I mean, I know that there have been times where I'll have like months without writing based on just what's happening with other things in my life. And um, I'm sure that's normal for a lot of people. So I, yeah. I think so, definitely. Yeah. Because the the writing process is I think I think every single writer goes through periods where they think, wow, this is this is not bad. This is pretty good work. And then other times where you're just like, what am I doing here? Right, I mean, right. my novel that I'm writing, I had felt pretty good about it yeah. for a while. 
then the other night I just thought I, I came, I had a, um, a problem with my timeline, I realized, oh my goodness, my timeline is off. So my confidence was just completely shot. I thought, I'm writing garbage. Yeah, I don't know yeah, what yeah. I'm doing here. <laughs> and I think every author goes through that cycle of times where you have encouragement. But that that little bit of encouragement, like you're saying, Juan, can inspire you to have great gains oh, forward. Absolutely. Because um, uh, first of all, in Spanish, I had this feedback, at least like, whatever, relatives or friends, even a, a good blogger here in Spain. But in English, yeah. nobody, I didn't have, I didn't have any feedback from this uh, short uh, story. So I didn't know. I was like, maybe I'm writing in English and I'm writing like it's garbage. Like not, right, not that right. the story is garbage, it's that maybe my English there in the, in the, it's just garbage. So I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I don't sure. know. That's self-doubt. Like, yeah. Sometimes yeah. I even have to use Google Translator. So what the hell? Like, yeah, like, how, yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, my God, do you think I'm going to, I'm going to cheat them? Like, you know, yes, I can write in English. And I, <laughs> and, what um, did I actually say in that piece? That's yeah, funny. And, um, but, but again, I think it's this thing like that, then you write or you don't write depending on your mood. Uh, that's true. But here, I don't know exactly why, because sometimes I write uh, for an hour, which is very little, I guess. And, and, I'm, and I'm happy. I'm happy with what I've written. I'm saying, okay, this is, this is good. It's working. Yeah. And, but then the last, this year, I'm saying, okay, that's enough. I've got enough. I don't want to write anymore. I just want to work or, you know, I'll, I'll work. Right, right. So yeah. I don't know exactly what, what it is. Oh, oh, exactly. yeah, sometimes, of course, it's because what you are writing is garbage. But you are like, okay, right. I'm, I'm not so, going anywhere. Yeah, not everything yeah. we write is good, right? Right. <laughs> or you may write something and it may not be bad or it may be good even. But if you don't have any feedback or, you know, you're interacting with anybody who's giving you any sort of yes. encouragement. Then you're like, well, I mean, yeah. At yeah. some point, you have to see results, right? Or you change course. Yeah. Well, yeah, are there writing sure. groups? And I mean, are there folks that you can join, or are you a member of a writing group of oh, folks that kind question. of critique I'm each terrible. other? And... I'm terrible. I was like thinking, okay, these these guys are gonna interview me, and I'm the worst guest possible. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm not reading books now. I don't talk to anybody. I live in a hole in an ancient town. And um, I mean, uh, and in English, because again, it's in right. English. And right. uh, so my yeah. friends, yeah, for example, today I'm going to meet one uh, one friend. He speaks Japanese, Chinese, several languages, because, you know, that's what happened. And he writes, but it's in Spanish. So I'm going to tell him about the interview. I said, okay, you should write in English, man. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. And it gives encouragement to you for other people to hear you too. You know, you're saying, oh, you're the worst guest ever, which you're not. Right. But, well. you know, the, it's a testament to you have to keep trying and you never know what piece, what time, what person will get you where you want to be. And you never know what where this this interview, this text, you know, being published online, where that'll go next and who you're going to inspire by saying that. Because there are people out there that are ready to give up. You know, maybe they're writing or maybe they're a listener who's curious about yeah. how writers do things, but you know, you're going to be an inspiration to, to be like, well, you know, somebody out there who's reading every day, writing every day. And they're like, well, maybe I should just try harder because you're giving it, you're giving it your all in bursts, I think, you know, and you're, you're putting yourself out there, which is huge. Like you are doing something by putting yourself out there. I mean, at least you have to send the text. Like you write something. Right. I think that you should write it thinking that you are going to send it to somebody else and somebody is going to read it 
so keep it short i mean i don't know that's what i do i keep it short i think so and uh and i got this website long ago i don't know if you know them like literarium i don't know how to pronounce it literarium oh, yeah i've i've seen them mm-hmm. well sure. everything has started with them like i was i was searching for you know uh magazines or you know how to send my 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 shortest stories and i found this website and they listed out everything not everything i don't know but a lot of things in the united states sure mm-hmm. and when i said it's like okay i'm gonna try to send it to these magazines or this you know if i write something i'm gonna send it right okay. and, interesting and, and so did you have you found so but submittable also does that you submitted this through submittable is that did you find that later yeah Okay. What do you mean, like submittable? Like, yes. When I when I check all these magazines, it's like, oh, you can submit your your short uh, story, mm-hmm. and you and you have to read everything. You know, they have a lot of rules and all that. Right, and right. Like the format. Oh, my God. I and, know. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I hate it. Like sometimes, I did. yesterday I sent a short story that I finished like a month ago. And because I didn't want to read about the format or anything, I'm like, I, I know. don't want to send it. Yeah, and, um, but but everything is very clear actually. Like I'm amazed. I'm amazed yeah. how well it works. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was just saying that Submittable, um, they have a discovery feature, so you can you can look for places to submit on Submittable, and oh, okay. um, kind of right. like the Literarium and Readsy. R-E-E-D-S-Y. They also have a huge contest listing, and we have we have a contest coming up that's on that. Um, but there are a lot of resources. It's all, probably most of that stuff's in English. But since you're writing in English, you know, check them out. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. Thanks. Yes, I will do it. Yeah, are... that's, those resources are very, very useful. Definitely. Yes, definitely. And I love your idea of writing with the intention of submitting. Like you're not going to write something and not submit it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's great because one of, I think I've said this on the show before, but I think it's worthy of saying again, if I have is if you don't ask, you don't receive. So you will always get a no if you don't put yourself out there and ask, Mm -hmm. but you might get a yes. Yeah. And and, and when they say no, they are very polite. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) no, yes, you have to do it. And I think it's like uh, when you send a text, a short story, and again, you know, somebody's going to read it, you know, I feel a bit more embarrassed. It's like, okay, I need to polish it a little more. Sure. You know, know, and, and that's very, I think it's important, you know, to one more iteration, one more iteration and, you know, finish it, send it, and then you can forget about it if you want or or not, or maybe one month later you can submit it again who knows yeah or you can yeah. just sit on your computer all day refreshing your browser and <laughs> wait for that little thing to change yeah. well let me ask you this because i'm very curious my daughter is studying chinese and in my observance of that it's been fascinating to learn how it's almost like the language is a representation of how they view the world it's like you know you you think differently because of the way the words are written, if that makes any sense. Um, and so my question is, in, as a translator, as someone who studied a lot of languages, does, does any of that influence the way you write? I mean, I know you're doing like an exercise and you're trying to kind of model after, you know, a successful professional writer, but do you feel like that understanding of the differences in languages has an impact on that? 
Or maybe you don't even agree. Maybe I'm just making that up. <laughs> no, I, I'm, yeah, I'm <laughs> not sure. Good. Like, to be honest, I'm not sure. Like, when I started writing in, uh, in Spanish uh, 10 years ago, at that time, I thought, oh, how, the, how can I write? Like, I never tried writing before. And at, at that mm -hmm. time, I thought, and this is pretty unscientific, so this is not true, most likely. That, but that's what I thought. Is like, <laughs> I thought, okay, maybe, you know, the brain is like a muscle, and because I'm Every day I'm training with this super hard language called Mandarin. Maybe I develop something there, like a, like a huge biceps in my, bra my brain. Yeah, I don't know. I like it. It's and, good. Uh, which is pretty unscientific. I'm sorry. I... No, I think I that's think true. Probably but, some science. But, but, and so, so maybe it helped. But on the, other hand, on the other hand, I think that learning languages, at least my age, you know, when you're 45, you're not a kid, uh, uh, absorbs a lot of your energy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah particularly like Chinese. If you study Chinese with 30, 40 years old, that's, that's it's pretty difficult. Yeah, I, bet I so. imagine. Having said this, like, if, if you study a foreign language, uh, Chinese and Mandarin is pretty interesting because it's so different. Yes. Like, like, if you really want to see a different world, different people, different values, different language, yes, it's Chinese. If you study Spanish... I think it's going to be pretty much the same for me because I'm used to Mandarin. Right. So, and I'm not sure like people think different because at the end, what we think is basically the same, I guess, no? You the same stories and all that. But the feeling when you think in Chinese or when you read in Chinese is different. And, and writers huh. are different. The way they express themselves uh, obviously is different, but that's probably more related to the culture. Oh, okay, say, interesting. You know, what's yeah. important to somebody in their culture might be different. Yeah, like imagine, I don't know, English. You take English from New York, but if you let somebody from China 2,000 years ago use that English, probably will be very different, and the right. feelings will be very different, and the, uh, and the rhythms and everything. So, mm -hmm. But again, yeah, Chinese definitely is a very different language. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. How is your daughter doing with it, JW? She's amazing. I mean, uh, she yeah. started a couple of years, I guess, seventh grade or something. And oh, um, wow. yeah, so uh, she really loves it. She's a visual person as it is anyway. And it's just fascinating to me because the the characters, just such a completely, completely non-Western approach to communicating. Right. And um, yeah, so that's why, I mean, I just watching her learn that and... Um, even the way the sentences are constructed, like what's important, you know, in terms of nouns and verbs and the order, I know that a lot of languages have their own approach to that, but to me, the the Chinese approach was just completely unique. So anyway, yeah, no, for sure, really for sure, Mandarin, I should say it's Mandarin. Mandarin, yeah. we should say, yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, verbs, adverbs, is different. Everything is yeah. different there. Yeah, fascinating. Well, believe it or not, while we are coming up on time here, so we have I want two questions we want to ask here at the end. <laughs> Okay. The first one is, do you remember what the first book was that made you cry? My first book, uh, I don't, I don't think so. I have a terrible memory and everything is very blurred. Like before my <laughs> 20 years old, like, you know, 
<laughs> don't ask right. me about when I was I was young. Like I don't know. It was just I know. I, my memory is the same. That's why I don't like this question because I can't answer it. <laughs> really? But, but, uh, it's a powerful moment when you first like cry from reading something. Uh, I think you. I think you either love that question or you're just like I have no idea. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting for the people who do love it. But I'm with you, Juan. It's like I don't remember. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I can. I remember that I that I read a book. Uh, I don't know six seven years ago. It was a Japanese book with a terrible title, which is Socrates in Love or something or like Crying Out of Love from the Center of the World. Which I, I didn't like the title. It's a Japanese, but it was a big hit. Huh. And um and it was it was unbelievable. It's it's like you 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 see the 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 writer. He's going to tell you this story. It's very simple, but it's very moving. Like you cannot help it. And, uh, wow! But yeah. crying, when you say crying, really, I only cry. It's not the only time, but I remember crying again when I was in Nanjing eight years ago or something. I read a poem from a Mexican writer, Octavio Paz, and mm. but I cried out of rage. I was oh. I was angry wow. with my life. Yeah. Like you are reading. I don't usually read poems at all. I, I don't. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I don't know how, why, I was reading that poem and I cried that, uh, you know, it was rage. Fascinating. Yeah. That is. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, that's a good answer. It is a good answer. It does produce good answers. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I, if I couldn't give a, an example of exactly what made me cry, I think the, the surrounding happenings, it makes for interesting conversation. Yeah. Well, and maybe I could revise the question so it's not made you cry but like impacted you emotionally you know like you have uh, yeah, a, yeah. a favorite book that really like you know made you just think see the world differently or something yeah. but anyway because i think that's why we read books right to go on that emotional journey yeah sure or at least you know for the most part <laughs> or to just read lots of stuff blowing up but yeah um, yeah i guess for excitement maybe you don't want emotion maybe you're tired of emotion and you just want to be entertained that's another right yeah, that's that's lots of reasons. sometimes happens like i don't want emotions i don't want to change right, right. i want to yeah. read a book and after the book i want to be the same person yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good luck with that that's hard to do i love um, that yeah <laughs> there's all different varieties that's why you know there's all different writers and i love that you don't have to like the same thing and different moods uh, recall, uh, require different books. Yeah. All right, cool. Okay. And then the last question is, um, that should be interesting. Yeah. Do you have any advice for, or resources, recommendations, whatever, for aspiring writers or, um, folks that are just curious about getting into writing? Um, well, I guess that I should say what I said before, because, you know, Mm -hmm. to write and send it. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Then another thing that I that I do to when I describe things is like um, uh, I check on Google, of course, and I say parts of a of a spaceship, parts of a that. So I see visually what is the thing that I'm going to describe, so I can some vocabulary. But that's something that that's so good. But that's very specific, right? That's very, only yeah, happens still... a few times, right? But are oh, you? But you need to learn the vocabulary, which I'm terrible with, I guess. But well, um, that's understandable. But what you're saying is you you want you look at a visual sometimes to give you ideas on how to describe it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I need to I, I need to learn the vocabulary of something. Like if I'm if I'm describing something in a spaceship, 
uh, I need to know, you know, a few things. So make mm -hmm. it more realistic. I need to get some. And so you know, I just go to Google, I check yeah. and say parts of this uh, power, parts right, of this right. thing, parts of this computer. I check. But that's, you know, very specific, specific for, for certain situations only. And I think that is, is very good advice because one of the things that makes a good piece of writing is making sure your reader is in that world. Um, I was reading something with my writing group and the difference between a well-written piece is description. So if, you, if I can't imagine your world, I'm not really there, you know, I'm not experiencing it. But if I can imagine that world, if I know what the characters are wearing, what the surrounding spaceship looks like, you know, whatever, then I'm more invested into the story. And I think using your approach is very, um, is a great uh, mechanism to use. Because if you pull something up and you know exactly where you are and you're seeing a picture and you're describing it, then that forces you to actually think about where you are in the story. I like that. Yeah. I think that's great. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Juan, thank you so much for coming on the show and submitting your work. We're happy to help you share it with the world and excited to get it out there. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, you know, I thank you because now I have this amazing feedback. So <laughs> Good, good. Great. Yes. Go forth and write more. Yeah. Terrific. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, all stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.